Welcome to the JMD podcast, a podcast series from the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. Like the journal, this podcast aims to improve the management and understanding of inherited metabolic disorders by allowing authors to share their work in a slightly different way. And I invite you to join me every fortnight as I learn from scientists, clinicians, researchers and parents about the fascinating world of inherited metabolic disease. In this episode, we're asking the question, to Wes or not to Wes? Hi, I'm James Nurse, the social media editor at the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease, and this episode is a little bit different from the ones that have come before. For starters, I'm joined today by a co-host. Hi, I'm Eva Morava. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. Today, we are talking about exome sequencing and whether that's a good idea to use it in newborn screening. And uh, our editorial committee have written a response piece to WES or not to WES, we're really excited today to be joined by some of the authors of the article to make up our panel, and they are... Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Jennifer Puck. I'm one of the senior co-authors of this paper, and I'm a professor of pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco. So hi, everybody. I'm Asis Adhikari, uh, and I'm the first author in the paper, and my role was primarily to design and perform the analysis. Uh, hi, and I'm Renata Gallagher. I'm a professor of clinical pediatrics at uh, the University of California, San Francisco in the Division of Medical Genetics, and I was the metabolic content expert for this work, so I was able to provide a clinical framework for interpreting the data, and I also uh, helped review clinical case notes. And that's our panel. Thank you all for taking the time to join Ava and myself today. Jennifer, I wonder if we could begin by looking at what makes a good screening test. Newborn screening is designed to pick up very rare conditions in the newborn period that would not be evident by a physical exam or a simple test just looking at a baby, but could diagnose conditions that are very important to pick up early because they're treatable. Newborn screening started with testing for phenylketonuria or PKU, and this is a rare condition in which infants look perfectly healthy, but they develop severe mental retardation unless they start on a very protein-restricted diet early in life. And Dr. Guthrie was the first to suggest screening all newborns for this condition. So the little dried blood spot that now is used for screening for many different conditions, dozens of conditions actually, this is called the Guthrie card. And a little spot of blood is dried on this filter and then shipped to a state public health laboratory where many tests can be run on this tiny sample. The big question is what conditions should we do newborn screening for? And the logic that has developed around this is that it has to be something rare, it has to be something treatable, and it has to be a condition where early treatment makes a big difference. The idea behind screening is that you want to save lives, you want to avoid morbidity and mortality, but you also realize that there's a cost to having a program that may pick up a lot of false positives as well as true positives. So the public health programs have to balance the utility 
and cost effectiveness of screening for each disease. I just want to add something about the history of newborn screening, which is that early on, it was uh, one disease, one test, as Jennifer described, initially for phenylketonuria, and then other uh, early onset treatable disorders were added. And in the 1990s, it became possible using tandem mass spectrometry to identify multiple disorders of fat and amino acid metabolism, as well as disorders of the urea cycle. And this was a multiplex test originally introduced primarily for a disorder of fat metabolism, medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency. But that really changed a paradigm for newborn screening, which had been one disease, one test. And an important point is that while you can optimize a newborn screening test for one disorder, it's difficult to optimize it for multiple disorders. You can screen for up to 40 conditions with tandem mass spectrometry, and you can choose to screen for a few or more, and that's really up to the local uh, jurisdiction. But it's important that it was a multiplex test, and that's one of the appeals of DNA is that similarly it could be a multiplex test. Now, I'm in the UK. You're all in the States at the moment. You've talked about dozens of conditions being screened for. In the UK, we were screening for just two metabolic conditions up to 2015. We now screen for a grand total of six. These numbers change across the States. They change across the world. I don't know. Is, is there a right number or is the right number as many as you can do? Well, I think it's an interesting question to ask what is the right number of tests to include in newborn screening? If you asked families who have a child with one of these rare disorders, they would all say, please screen for the disorder that my child has to give the best chance of early treatment and an optimal outcome. And on the other hand, the public health community, which has a limited budget, has to really prioritize what they do with their budget in order to get the maximal benefit and get that benefit for the number of dollars they have to spend. In addition, families who are flagged because of a false positive newborn screening test may undergo a lot of extra testing, doctor visits, and anxiety until they're finally given a diagnosis that puts them in the clear. And this is viewed as a, a negative of newborn screening. We don't want to upset families of a brand new baby and interfere with bonding of parent and baby. And a false positive newborn screen is not trivial. If I may say something as a devil's advocate, I think it's much more complex than this. As you know, I'm a Hungarian gypsy and I worked at uh, different parts of the world. And so newborn screening patients in Hungary, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in the U.S., at different states. And I do see how much difference is between the different screening programs. And I think that this is really very special for each country and state. Uh, just give you an example. In Belgium, the screening centers and the university centers are so close that a patient with a metabolic condition can reach an academic hospital in an hour, a maximum two hours, you travel across the country. So certain screening methods were stopped because the screening results came 
always too late. The patient made it to the hospital quicker. Compared to that, certain tests were really necessary in Louisiana, where the patients are so far away from specialists that we do need to screen for as many disorders as possible because that patient might not get the proper medical attention without that screening test. So what I meant to say is it's not just about the the risk for false positives and negatives, but also for each country, there are unique characteristics which would define how many disorders you should screen and would you choose for metabolic screening approach or you want to know actually the genetic diagnosis as soon as possible. So I'm really very curious, uh, what is your idea about the role of exome sequencing in newborn screening in inborn errors of metabolism? We participated in a granting opportunity from the U.S. National Institutes of Health. And the question raised was, what is the utility, if any, of deep sequencing as applied to newborn screening? This exact question that you're asking. And four grants were awarded. We received one of them, and we received it because we were taking advantage of this very unique situation in California where the archived dried blood spots that had already been tested were available in a de-identified form. And we were able to collect the leftover dried blood spots from all the babies in California who had a diagnosis of an inborn error made by mass spectroscopy, the standard method. And we did exome sequencing to see how it compared to that method. And this is an opportunity that is not going to be available in other places because they don't save those newborn dried blood spots. And we decided that this was one instance where we could actually do a rigorous comparison between a already accepted test for these inborn errors that was being done and this new methodology of newborn deep sequencing. And we do have to say here that screening is very different from doing sequencing for an individual who already has a medical problem who's sitting in a doctor's office. Because I don't think there's much doubt that in this day and age, an undiagnosed person with a medical problem stands to gain from exome sequencing or deep sequencing. But it is not that clear that this kind of uh, sequencing is useful in a screening context where almost all of the individuals are actually healthy. You're looking for a very, very rare condition or rare mutations in only a few infants, and you don't have any phenotypes. So all of these babies appear normal. Uh, You don't have any reason to suspect any one of them to be affected more than the baby next to it in the nursery. So this screening context is very different. It requires the ability to pick out a a very rare individual 
And that's what we were testing. So having said that, perhaps this is a good time to tell us you know, how exactly you did the work that you did. Yeah. So basically, the main question we set out to answer was what the performance of holism sequencing would have been if it were used as the primary new one screening test for inborn errors of metabolism in California. Uh, so between 2005 and 2013, uh, the California Department of Public Health screened uh, dry blood spots from nearly four and a half million newborns for around 48 different metabolic conditions using tandem mass spectrometry. And from these, we obtained blood spots from all newborns, like around 1,300 of them, that were ultimately affected by any screened uh, metabolic disorder. And so we performed whole exome sequencing of most of these samples and generated a fairly comprehensive population scale data set of inborn errors of metabolism cases, uh, which reflected the underlying diversity of California. So now to perform an unbiased assessment of exome as a screening tool, well, we split our data set into two different sets. So the first was a smaller validation set, which comprised of roughly 50% of the data, which we used for developing and tuning the parameters for our exome analysis pipeline. Once we settled on a final pipeline, we directly applied it uh, once on the held out remaining 85% of the data set to estimate the sensitivity and specificity of exome sequencing. And so the pipeline itself had to be built from scratch. Uh, so typically for exome analysis, it's done under diagnostic settings where you have already a patient with some indication. But for newborn screening, like Jennifer had uh, mentioned earlier, you have no phenotype uh, to begin with, and you have to rapidly identify a few individuals in the population who are at risk of disease and do it with extraordinary sensitivity, uh, very high specificity, as well as very limited manual review. So ultimately, we designed a pipeline that would be appropriate for screening uh, through like an iterative approach where we started with commonly used parameters in exome analysis and systematically altered them while tracking how both the sensitivity and specificity of the disease prediction from exomes would vary in the validation set. And so the final uh, pipeline eventually we settled on analyzed variants within an exome slice of 78 genes that are associated with 48 different metabolic disorders in the California newborn screening panel. And the pipeline reported potentially disease-causing curated as well as predicted variants within these genes. And so the results from the exome analysis were then directly compared to the clinical data for these individuals uh, from which we were able to estimate uh, the performance uh, of exome as a screening tool. So don't keep us in suspense. How does exome sequencing work as a screening tool? Um, yeah. So the main finding was that despite an analysis pipeline that was specifically designed for screening, sensitivity of exome sequencing was insufficient for use as a sole screening method. We found that the sensitivity varied by disorder, but the overall sensitivity of 88% that we found was far less than the current sensitivity of mass spec screening, which is around 99% for these disorders. And so this sensitivity for exome sequencing could not be improved by trade-offs against specificity because most of the cases that were missed by exome sequencing lacked any pair of rare missense or predicted damaging variants in these relevant genes. And at the same time, the specificity of the analysis pipeline was around 98.4%, which would extrapolate to around 8,000 false positives among the half million births in California annually. And so this is like also far greater than the roughly 1,300 false positives from mass spec per year in California. So from the perspectives of false negatives and false positives, as a sole screening method, uh, we found that the exome sequencing underperformed the current mass spec-based newborn screening. 
And I'd like to uh, take the opportunity too to point out here that DNA sequencing did work well for some disorders, so it was unequal across the disorders. But really important to point out the disorders that uh, didn't do so well at two examples of really critical newborn screening disorders to identify um, that don't have symptoms in the newborn period necessarily, but for which we really need to uh, provide intervention and which we want to identify early. For example, for phenylketonuria, of the 46 cases tested, three were missed. So that was 7%. And similarly for MCAD, another important fat metabolism disorder, 7% of cases were missed. So certainly tandem spectrometry outperforms DNA sequencing in our set for those two critical newborn screening conditions. You mentioned there are some conditions where it is or it does appear to be superior. I mean, I appreciate we end up dealing with very small numbers. Which conditions is it better than? Well, one of the issues was that while missed cases are reported to the California Newborn Screening Program, uh, we didn't have very many missed cases in our data set. We only had a handful and we only and we didn't sequence all of those. But for example, for a condition that's known to be not well identified on tandem mass spectrometry screening, beta ketothiolase deficiency, there were two reported missed cases by tandem mass spectrometry. They were both identified through the DNA analysis pipeline. So this is really something that could be applied disorder by disorder, or should be applied really disorder by disorder. Well, I hope nobody will kill me. I am very much for whole exome sequencing in diagnostics and also using West slices for specific questions or when we have a good clinical hypothesis. But I always felt like uh, functional tests are superior to just getting information on the genetic code. And I wonder how many times I really missed the genetic information early on when I had my sick baby with a positive NBS, a tandem MS result, because I thought primarily in the acute phase, you just treat the symptoms and the metabolic abnormalities and use the calories and the special formulas. But the genetic result is not so important so early on, obviously early on, but not in the first two, three days. So I wonder if you can give me an example uh, for the advantage of knowing the genetic results so early instead of, you know, using that metabolic marker and just in a timely manner get that genetic result within a few days. I think I can start by answering this as, as another metabolic physician. So just to point out that really this was a retrospective head-to-head comparison of tandem mass spectrometry and DNA. And we didn't argue for DNA as a primary screen. It was really a, a scientific question about how this would perform. So the paper didn't suggest that uh, DNA sequencing could or should replace tandem mass spectrometry. In fact, as Ashish just described, the results indicated that it, it can't substitute I agree that it's very important to have the analyte testing early and it is uh, faster than DNA sequencing. And we also didn't address practical issues of turnaround time, for example, and what that would mean were that DNA sequencing to be incorporated into newborn screening. But certainly I think that having genetic information, if the variants are clear, which may not always be the case, can help with understanding severity 
uh, risk of decompensation in a patient who may not already be manifesting symptoms, cofactor responsiveness if we have that information, and importantly, something that we found also in this work that we haven't addressed yet, and I'll tell you about, was um, resolving a differential diagnosis. So one of the issues with tandem mass spectrometry is there are false positives, uh, but also different disorders can have similar profiles on tandem mass spectrometry. And so it can be difficult to distinguish individual fat metabolism disorders, which might have different treatment uh, without DNA testing. So for example, in our series, we had a case that had screened positive for both VLCAD and MCAD, uh, two disorders of fat metabolism. And the case had been resolved as a carrier for one of the conditions in the DNA pipeline, uh, two mutations were identified in a gene for multiple acyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency. So certainly it can help to have the DNA information. In some cases, uh, it might not change your initial management, but I think it's important to know uh, in, in other cases quite early. I, I cannot uh, resist and just say, of course, if you did organic acids, you would have probably had the diagnosis as well. But I do see your point and I love your answer. But we like metabolites. We are crazy people. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I wanted to add to at this point something else that was a very important result of the study, which was. Uh, the analysis of false positive cases for six disorders. There's really, for some analytes, a very low positive predictive value. And there's a fairly big burden on the metabolic centers in doing follow-up testing. And uh, one of the uh, questions we addressed was, what would be the role of DNA sequencing after a metabolite test? And if no variants were identified that were important for that or related to that metabolite, would that save referrals? So, for example, in uh, TPN, we can see elevated phenylalanine and arginine. In prematurity, we can see elevated phenylalanine. If there were no variants in the uh, genes related to those analytes and those cases weren't referred, uh, that would save the burden of following up those uh, tests in a metabolic center. We did end up realizing that although WES was not going to be a replacement or a standalone test for metabolic disorders, it did add a great deal to those cases with ambiguous initial results and did enable us to get rid of a lot of the false positives very expeditiously. So I think that there is definitely a role for WES in newborn screening. One of the things that we started with was that in the United States, and I think in European countries as well, there's been a great deal of enthusiasm for deep sequencing. And people have said, oh, every newborn should be sequenced at birth. So we'll have a blueprint for what is in store. And what we found when we actually did a rigorous test of this is we're nowhere near ready to make predictions of that sort in a screening context when we don't have somebody who's already got a problem to be investigated. And in fact, the genome has so much variation that we found many, many 
changes in the DNA sequence that did not appear to have any harmful consequences. And especially in California that has a very diverse population because people have arrived here from all over the world, we found variants that had never been described and weren't in any of the databases. And we realized that we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding our genome. And it is too soon to say that the knowledge of just the sequence of a genome is going to have a great deal of predictive power in an otherwise healthy person. This in a way supports Ava's point that I think it is important to point out that a third of the variants were novel and two-thirds of those were missense variants. And so there might be DNA sequence information that we couldn't interpret in the absence of more phenotypic information. I want to say, Ava, as a fellow metabolic physician, I'm very much a metabolite person, but I'm also aware of the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, tandem spectrometry is a multiplex test. It's not optimized for each condition. And there are disorders that are on that screen that we don't do well with. And I mentioned the, the cases of BKT that were missed on tandem spectrometry and identified through DNA. So my hope is that we can improve screening for these disorders with whatever tools we have. And that may include DNA. So can I be just mean again and say, okay, I see all the points you guys make and now just the question is about costs and turnaround time. And I don't think that you really dealt with this issue in your paper. You you made a note that this is an important aspect. And I would like to challenge you and ask you if you could answer this question. Would this be a feasible approach to carry on with our brilliant newborn screening using tandem MS and individualized for a state or a country and add West slices in an appropriate uh, manner, either parallel or a few days later? We are very happy that the price of sequencing continues to drop. And so it's becoming more available. And also the speed is increasing. So there are actually reports of a 24-hour whole genome sequence from Dr. Kingsmore and his colleagues at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. So I think we can expect further improvements in technology that will make deep sequencing more available. And that's probably a good thing because I think one obvious role for deep sequencing will be as a follow-on test when there's an indication of some kind of abnormality from the initial newborn screen. Even beyond that, there may be instances and this may differ uh, from one population to another, for example. But there may be instances where deep sequencing or looking at a series of genes with variants that are well characterized and mutations that are well known 
we can identify those more and more quickly with sequencing now. But I think at this moment in time, in general, we don't have a good catalog of disease-causing mutations. And because the metabolic conditions and other newborn screened conditions are rare, it could be many, many years or really forever until we have a complete catalog of mutations. So that's something that, that I think we're going to have to live with. Learning how to interpret the genome better is something we're all looking forward to. And Ashish is working on that as his career. And it's certainly important to consider the non-coding as well as coding portions of the genome, because what we looked at is only about 2% of the genome, and that's the coding part. All the rest is DNA that we're not exactly sure what its role is. We know it's important for turning genes on and off, but we don't know exactly how all these pieces work. And so there's a lot more to learn. Again, Ava, as a, as a metabolic physician and someone trained in laboratory interpretation, I'm very much on the side of metabolites, which really was the result of our paper. Um, but I also am aware that there are both missed conditions by tandem mass spectrometry and disorders that really warrant early identification and treatment for which there is no test. So I think it is important to think about uh, how DNA could be used in those conditions. And as Jennifer described, it's important to both improve databases as well as variant interpretation as we move forward, both thinking about using DNA in screening and in diagnosis. One of the things um, Ava is famous for is her love of congenital disorders of glycosylation. And we know that some of those are increasingly treatable, but they're also hard to diagnose. In these strike risk conditions, you could stick on a, a WES slice. Could this be uh, an indication for WES newborn screening, Ava? So actually, I would say that uh, metabolite-based screening would be possible for the disorders which are treatable for now because they have a very recognizable mass spec result. Just the mass spec should be differently, how should I say, fine-tuned to see this abnormality. So it's not so easy to combine that with the other metabolites. Okay, I give in. Genetic screening would be probably uh, easier and quicker there. However, we only know about 60 different mutations or pathogenic variants in PGM1 deficiency, and all the new variants would need metabolic confirmation. So what Jennifer just said, that's also um, an issue. So I would like to throw the ball back and say, what do you think about an approach where we do our screening based on metabolites and maybe just run the West at the same time, which is relatively low cost because the intellectual and the bioinformatics work is what's really costly. And say, if you have an abnormal newborn screening, then you pick up that West and look into it if you see an answer there. So you would decrease the number of false positives. So you would really improve the psychological aspects of, of newborn screening false positives. Obviously, you will still miss the ones which are which are not picked up. 
by um, by the tandem screening. Is this a crazy idea? I think it's a great idea. Although the cost right now of exome sequencing is too high to consider doing it for everyone, but as a slight uh, modification to your approach, if we did deep sequencing for every baby who has some inkling of an abnormality on the newborn screening testing that is done with metabolites, we could have those results in theory very quickly within a short number of days. And that would, as you say, clarify the situation for a large percentage of cases. So I think if we consider what would be the very best approach right now, it would be a combination, perhaps where we start with a metabolic panel looking at the uh, analytes in MSMS and then carry on from there to do a rapid sequencing for the babies who have any uh, hint of an abnormality. I think the real challenge then comes to what about all those conditions for which mass spectrometry doesn't help? We don't have a good test. Could we at least do sequencing and be somewhat further ahead than we are today? And I think that is a good question. We have to look at each disease on its own merits. Is it really a condition for which newborn screening would make a big difference? And are we satisfied with identifying some of the cases which we can do by screening, even if we can't identify all of them. And this is a very controversial subject these days. I wanted to add to the discussion, too, just some of the issues that we haven't discussed yet, which we're not knowing the phase of these variants uh, when we have the results. So not knowing for sure that they're on uh, different chromosomes, that is for the majority of these conditions, which are recessive, that one's inherited from the mother and one's inherited from the father. And in some cases, we missed say, copy number variants, which can also be difficult to detect by whole exome sequencing. And some of those cases were solved by whole genome sequencing. So there are multiple issues to address, but I think this paper serves as an important benchmark for where we are and points a way forward. So one result from our paper that might be relevant to this discussion was that we did explore different alternative pipelines when we were designing our analysis. And particularly, we looked at what would happen if we only kind of allowed rare curated variants and labeled them as pathogenic and see what the sensitivity and specificity would be. And a pipeline that uses only curated variants had a very high specificity, which is comparable to mass spec of 99.4%. But then obviously the sensitivity went down closer to 55%. So it could be for disorders that are not currently screened for by using curated variants, you might be able to get a very high specificity, but then the sensitivity obviously would be low and that would have to be, again, looked at disorder by disorder. That might get back again to Ava's point about uh, regional variation, because in our set in California, it was very ancestrally diverse. And so there were many novel missense variants. And so in order to increase the sensitivity, it was necessary to have an interpretation part of the pipeline. But adding that resulted in a lot of false positives. Whereas if you had, uh, say, a, a founder uh, variant in a region, 
and that's done for some conditions, you could use that uh, to screen. Although obviously the, the risk of that is you do a disservice to your small number of more diverse residents. Precisely. I'm very mindful of the time. We've monopolized you, I think, perhaps for long enough. I wondered if we could finish today by asking kind of all of you what your hopes and, and thoughts are for the future of screening. I kind of feel like we know where this is going, but I wondered if you wanted to, to say what your own opinion is of how this is going to work going forward. Well, I can start as a metabolic physician. So my hope is that DNA could be incorporated to improve current screening by increasing sensitivity for some disorders and potentially by avoiding unnecessary referrals, as we described, uh, and also to add additional disorders amenable to early treatment, but that don't have a current newborn screening test, like the CDGs. Okay, I'm happy with your statement. <laughs> Thank you. So my hope would be that as we continue to better understand and interpret the human genome, in parallel, we'll also be able to integrate that genomic knowledge with existing technologies to screen for many more treatable disorders than those we are currently able to do. I agree with the others, and I would also emphasize that newborn screening has proved itself to be an incredibly valuable tool. We are able to pick up children very early in life and give them treatments that save their brains, that avoid horrible uh, consequences, and save their lives. So I think that we are building on something that is already successful. And as far as sequencing goes, I would just say this is one more tool that gives us a better chance to solve difficult cases. And we need all the tools we can get. So I think this is really promising. Thank you. And, and Ava, is there anything you want to add? No, I'm just so happy you guys picked up this challenge and unbiasedly went through this amazing amount of data. I think this is a very useful paper. And I think this makes us think about newborn screening. And there are still so many unanswered questions. So I really just wanted to congratulate you for this excellent paper. And I'm very curious for responses in the future. And who knows, maybe there will be a follow-up of this podcast um, after we get some responses for, from our community. Certainly, I'd want to echo what Ava said and, and thank you all for your time. And you know, the response to your paper has been phenomenal. It's an incredible amount of data. And I think it's such a useful thing when, as you say, there's such a focus on exome sequencing. For those people who want to go and read the paper, if you search online for the role of exome sequencing in newborn screening, and it's available open access, and you can read Ava's editorial to WES or not to WES on the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease website. Thank you all so much for, for taking part today. Um, it's been wonderful having you. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great yeah. day. And if you want to hear more from the journal, you can find us on our SoundCloud or search for JMD Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And so from me, it's goodbye and thank you for listening.